Hello, podcast people. Man, I'm so excited you're with us as we continue our series on prayer called Finding Your Prayer Language. This series is all about the power of prayer. My name is Zach Daniel, and I'm the lead pastor of Antioch Community Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm also your host on this podcast. As a community, we are learning from Jesus the way to pray. Today, we're focusing on a really interesting and important concept called spiritual warfare. My hope is that today gives you strategy and insight in your prayer life. Uh, at the beginning of this message, I talk about a special campaign that our church is doing called That We May. I would love for you to be a part of that. Before we get to the message, here are the announcements from our communications team. Hey, Antioch Community Church. My name is Becca Briscoe, and I'm on the communications team. I want to let you know about a few of the opportunities that we have going on that we would love for you to be a part of. First, as you know, we've been highlighting our mission, Hope for Dallas, this month. We've heard about Austin Street Center, Catholic Charities, and this week we want to highlight Forerunner Mentoring. This is an amazing organization based in Lake Highlands where they're mentoring boys from fourth grade all the way through 12th grade. Here's a video giving you a little bit more info on what they're doing. For more information on how you can get involved in our mission, Hope for Dallas, just email us at hello at antiochdallas.org. Join us this upcoming Saturday for our next community outreach from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You don't want to miss. These monthly community outreaches are a great opportunity for you to grow in evangelism and be able to do ministry together as a family. Lastly, we have our Welcome to the Family dinner on November 20th from 5.30 to 7 p.m. That's here at the church, and it's a great opportunity for you to come and meet the staff, meet some new people, hear our mission and vision behind what we do, and eat some great and free food. You can register for that online at AntiochDallas.org. All right, you guys, that's it for the announcements. Know that we're praying for you this week, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. It is a big day in the history of our church and the, in the life of our church family. As Joe said, we are beginning a campaign today called That We May, and the purpose of this campaign is to raise money for our building move. As you know, we have outgrown this building in many ways and maybe outlasted the life of this building in many ways. Uh, <laughs> they're going to tear this down in the new year, and we're moving to a new space. It's about a seven-minute drive uh, let's think where we are, that way toward uh, 635. We're really excited about that. And uh, we are seeking to raise $150,000 to fund that move. I want to share with you kind of some words from our stewardship team uh, about this. So you'll watch a video here in just a minute kind of on the why behind the what and what we're trying to do. So if you turn your attention to the screen, you'll hear them. Hi, I'm Mark Senitz, and I'm part of the church's stewardship team. My wife and I, Sam, run an architectural and construction business here in Dallas. And we had the privilege of going through the ADS class last year, where God did some amazing things, not only in our marriage, but also in our personal lives. 
and our hearts for Jesus. And we are just so blessed to be part of this body. My name is Matt Reynolds. Um, I'm a CPA. I also am a director of operations at a ministry. And my wife is actually on staff here as well. Uh, we lead a life group together and we've been part of this community for many years. And I'm so thankful to get to serve here with you all. Together with David Johnson, we serve on the church stewardship team. You know, it's our mission to make sure that the resources that are given to this church are uh, stewarded in a way that allows Jesus to be lifted up in our hearts, through that to our city and into the nations of the world. It's our passion that each one of us individually experiences the power, the peace, and the blessings that come through following Jesus in the area of our money. So it's just with that in mind that we serve here and that we're looking to help each one of us be greater disciples of Jesus in this way. So as a reminder, we are trying to raise $150,000 for the That We May campaign. And we're gonna be doing that today as a giving day today. We're gonna be doing that a month from now on December 3rd. And then we're gonna follow up with our final giving day, January 8th. And our heart is to raise the $150,000 that we may sow out beyond measure what God is doing inside of us. Guys, we're so excited to be jumping into this together. I just think that Jesus is doing great things. He's gonna do great things in our new building and he wants us to step into this with him. I think Zach did a great thing a couple weeks ago when he shared with us just the different levels of giving and I want you guys to each pray, what level does God have for you within this campaign that we may make his name known in the city? And so just a practical note, if you're giving today, you can do that either online and just indicate it's toward the That We May campaign. You can give in the back with a check and note in the memo box that we may so we know where to appropriate those dollars. Or you can give cash and just put a note in with it that it's for that we may. Thank you guys and God bless. All right, thankful for those uh, guys. Really, really great to have uh, leaders like that in our midst. Um, so what is this money going toward? I know that's a common question. And so I just want to break down the, the practicals of what are we looking to spend this money on? Uh, if you'll look, $50,000 of this is going toward the air conditioning system, uh, upgrading it to be of the appropriate strength. In Texas, that's a really good thing. So you should be happy about good air conditioning. It's also what we need to meet city code compliance. Uh, in the new space, 40,000 of it is going to upgrade the fire suppression system, so safety from fires. That's another good thing that, you know, you're like, right, I, I don't want to burn, you know. Uh, 15,000 is going toward additional construction costs in finishing it out, doors, those type of things, walls, etc. 25,000 is going toward the AV and lighting system, so lights, sound, action, screens, etc., and then 20000 is going toward furnishing and finish out. That would be things like the, equipping the children's ministry areas, uh, those type of kind of expenses. So that's the $150,000. But I think it's the why behind this that makes me excited. And I want to share a little bit with you on that right now. Uh, I don't know if anybody saw this video floating around social media this week called Adopt a Millennial. Did anybody see that? Okay, if you haven't seen it, go on. You'll, you'll laugh, right? Uh, so most of our church is kind of in that uh, millennial demographic. And so people often ask me, they're like, how do you guys have uh, money? Because the, no <laughs> the knock on millennials, as this video, Adopt a Millennial, points out, is that um, we're not known as the most uh, giving group. Uh, the video is pretty funny. This, this guy, it's kind of like one of those Compassion International Adopt an Orphan. It's a spoof on that where they talk about the need for millennials to be adopted. And there's kind of an older gentleman that looks wealthy. And he talks about how, you know, his millennial told him that he needed money for his subscription beard wax service and his kombucha for breakfast. And there's like certain people, certain orphans around the world, they deal with, you know, um, uh, uh, scurvy or, or dysentery. My millennial has tennis elbow and he just needed some help with it. It's a funny deal. And I was realizing like that is the cultural perception uh, that is on our generation. And those are the things that many of us have been taught is the way in which we live. But when I look at you guys, I don't, I don't see those stereotypes. I see so many people in this room who've been touched by Jesus and who are living in a very countercultural way 
Instead of focusing on what can I receive, you realize you've been a recipient of the radical generosity of God in Jesus. And, and this is a generous church. This is a generous house. You guys are generous people. And I love to be amongst people that are living so counterculturally, so in the way of Jesus, so seeking to live out is more blessed to give than to receive. And so in this campaign, it's such an opportunity for us to take a step in looking more like Jesus and being more like him and growing in our generosity together. And then with that money, yes, it funds air conditioning, which is nice. It funds, you know, sprinklers so we don't burn up if there was ever a fire. Those are good things. But, but the bigger why behind the what is what moves our hearts. We are funding together, we're funding a space that's going to allow all of us, plus people who are not in this room, who don't know Jesus, but God wants them to know him. We're funding an ability to gather together to enjoy Jesus together to be blown away by him again and again and again at his awesomeness, at his graciousness, at his gladness, at his generosity, at his justice, at his wisdom, and just to be, wow, you are awesome, and to do that together. We are funding a space, the kids' rooms in this space, no more three-foot hallway or ten-foot classroom. The kids' space in this room is much larger, which is going to allow us to invest in the next generation with passion and excellence. We believe that children do not have a junior Holy Spirit and somehow need to be downgraded, but they are future leaders, future disciple-makers, future world-changers that we want to invest in wholeheartedly, that we may, that's what this money is for, that we may be a part of that. You're getting me excited here. Another reason that we may be a house of prayer for all nations. So Jesus said one of the central attributes or callings of his church would that it would be a house of prayer for all nations, that it would be a place where prayer is going up for the nations of the world and the nations represented here in our city. We're in this series on prayer because we're growing as a community, learning how to be that people that we may. That we may be a community that invests in the neighborhood around us, that invests in the poor, that invests in the refugee, that invests in the at-risk, that invests in those that society says to pass by. That we may express the love of Jesus to the least of these. That we may. That we may be a place that makes disciples, that you could be a part of what God is doing. Making disciples who make disciples who live out the calling of God on their lives, whether that's Plano or Park Cities or Pakistan, that we may. That's exciting. That we may be a part of seeing marriages that were once broken now restored. That we may see college students who come into college looking at which direction am I going to go and realize the awesomeness of knowing Jesus and to be launched into his purposes. That we may. That we may see young people mentored. That we may see family generational trees changed. That we could be a part of that. That we may. That's what this is going for. That's what this is about. And so I'm I, I just so excited about this. In 2 Corinthians, it talks about this church that was in Macedonia. And it said they didn't have much money, but they had been gripped by the generosity of Jesus to them. And there was this thing that just stirring up in their hearts, that they were begging to be a part of giving toward this new work of the Lord. And my hope for us is that this would be that type of thing for us, that our hearts would be so touched by the generosity of Jesus to us, that we would just have this hunger that we may be a part of this and we would sow in. At the same time, uh, very realistically, we are not looking to man as our provider. We are looking to God. We're following the way of Jesus, looking to God to provide for the vision that he's birthed in our hearts. And the way that God works is through his people. My hope is that I'm not calling other churches. I'm not calling around trying to get, you know, this person or that person to give. I'm believing God to stir our hearts together, to move in our hearts, to provide through the people of this house for the work that he has for us. And we realize that as Jesus taught us to pray, that we're to ask God for our daily bread. And so as much as we're trying to raise money, we're also looking to the Lord to be our provider in this. And so I just want to invite you for a moment to bow your head. 
with me and join with me uh, in following the prayer of Jesus on this. God, thank you that you are a generous provider. God, thank you that you are the one who has birthed this vision. It didn't start with us. Lord, it started with you. And that you are the one who provides through your people for your work, Lord. And so we just humbly say, God, we need you. We need you to provide. Just with one voice and one heart, Lord, we, we are looking to you. And we just open up our hearts, Lord. Would you speak to us? Would you move through us? How would you have us be a part? Stewarding the resources that you have so graciously blessed us with. Amen. All right, if you uh, are wondering, well, so I'm in, what do I do? How do I give? We have that little white giving box in the back, the nondescript box that you can drop the money into, or probably what's easiest for most of us is to give online on our website, have the secure giving, and you can give there. I will update you as we progress, as we step forward into this, that we may be all of those things that God is calling us and inviting us into. So with that as kind of the entry into our discussion today, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Now, we've been in a series of discussions on prayer. We're learning to grow as a community of prayer, to experience both the power, the presence, and the fruitfulness that God offers through the place of prayer. Uh, that's what we're going after. And so today we're going to talk about the context in which prayer happens, the context in which prayer happens. Do me a favor, if you've got some open seats near you, if you can scoot to the middle just so we can get everybody a seat. The context in which prayer happens, that's what we're going to be looking at. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, a really interesting passage of Scripture. The context is Jesus is about to be taken, about to be arrested and taken to the cross. He's with his disciples, his friends, his early followers, and one of those guys named Peter, who also goes by the name Simon Peter, is telling Jesus, you know what, I will never leave you. All these other people, they may leave you. I'm going to be with you in your trial. I'm going to be with you in your darkest moment. I'm going to be there. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Wow. Now, look at this. Jesus is saying to Peter that Satan, the devil, demands to have him, to sift him, to shake him, to, to destroy him, to take him out. Can you just put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment? <laughs> Jesus is telling you that the devil is after you and has demanded to have you. That would make me feel, I mean, I don't know about you, a little fearful. Like my eyes probably would get a little big, knees get a little weak. You might start to get, you know, hot and sweaty and like, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into, right? This isn't a pop psychologist talking about the devil. This isn't like some idea that I just came up with or some old religious tradition. These are the words of Jesus saying, the devil has demanded to have you, Peter, that he might sift you. And then what does Jesus say? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again to strengthen your brothers, as we begin this conversation about the context of prayer, what I want you to see is that Jesus here is aware of the battle, that the devil is real and he's out to destroy Peter. Jesus is aware. And that Jesus is engaging the advancement of darkness. He's fighting it with what? With prayer. It's the tool that he's using. Peter, this is what the devil wants to do but I have prayed for you. So you see Jesus engaged in this battle with the devil and it's prayer that's the weapon with which he is attacking. Now this is important as we start to talk about the context for prayer. First question you might think of, okay, I get that, you know, there's the devil and probably that he wants to take out Peter, you know, kind of one of the early disciples, going to lead the church, wrote a few books of the Bible. Sure, you know, the devil wants to go after that guy. 
But me, you know, I, little old me here in Dallas, a couple thousand years later, just kind of doing my deal. I don't know how this, like, really pertains to me. Well, now turn to this letter that Peter wrote. We call it 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. This same guy, years later, having experienced this, is now writing to Christians, followers of Jesus, like you and me. And this is what he says. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's a lot of ruh in that. I had to practice it. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I worked on that to get it, to be able to get it all out. What's he saying? He's saying that this idea that the devil is after people is not just for big dogs like Peter, but for every Christian, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Wow. If the devil is after me, and if the devil is after my family, I, I want to be aware like, I don't want to go into that fight un, un, unaware. I don't know about you. If you knew that the devil was coming after you, wouldn't you want to at least know about it so you could be on watch, so you could be ready? Right. That makes this immensely important for us. So now we're going to turn to another portion of Scripture and really kind of dive in here. This is going to be our central text that we work from. It's Matthew chapter 4, and we just see that there's this there's this, we've seen there's this battle that's going on. There are many places in Scripture we could turn to study this more, but one of the most poignant for our conversation today, Matthew chapter 4, we get the inside kind of view on Jesus actually battling the devil, actually engaging and battling the devil. And it's going to be very helpful for us as we talk about the context for prayer. So what's happened? Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He was baptized. As he was baptized, God the Father speaks over him this public word of affirmation. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God speaks his pleasure over Jesus. The Holy Spirit anoints Jesus and he's launched into a ministry that will span three years, but will literally change the course of human history. What's the first thing that Jesus does? Right, we're looking at the presidential elections, and when they get in, they're talking about what are our first hundred days in office? What are the changes or the agenda that they have to start out? What's Jesus do in his kind of first hundred days of his ministry? Well, we read in verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So what's going on? Jesus' first act, first step into public ministry is to go into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, to fast and to pray. In biblical understanding, you don't fast apart from prayer. They go together, and Jesus is going to engage in 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and prayer. That's how he's launching into his ministry. And while he is there, as he is praying, what happens? The devil comes to tempt him. Let's read about this. Verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's stop there. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's at the end of his 40-day fast. He's been praying. He's been seeking the Lord. He's getting ready to be launched into his public ministry, like his first kind of works. And here's when the devil comes and begins to attack Jesus, begins to tempt him, begins to try him. And as we unpack this story, as we talk about the context of prayer, I want you to see three things. 
Number one, I want you to see the battle that's going on. Number two, I want you to see the strategy in the battle. And number three, I want you to see the victory over the battle. So there's a battle going on. We have a strategy and we have a victory. So here we see in this little scene, Jesus and the devil engaged in a battle. We saw earlier in Luke that the devil was on the attack to destroy Peter. Then we saw in 1 Peter 5 that Peter is saying it's not just him, it's not just Jesus, but that it's all Christians, that the devil is on the warpath, so to speak. Now, these three little mini-episodes fall in the larger context of Scripture from first page to last, that there is a battle going on in our world between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. It's not a dualistic battle where there's kind of 50 men over here and 50 men over there, and we're going to fight and see who comes out on top. That's not the way that the Bible teaches it. The Bible teaches, the Bible tells us uh, that God is the great king over all. He's the king with all wisdom, all power, all rule, all authority. He's the only one worthy of our honor. And yet, in his kingdom, there has been a rebellion that the devil has risen up against God and is leading a revolt, a rebellion against the king. That's the context for the story of Scripture. That's the context for our lives. What that means is that you and I, we do not live in peacetime, but we live in the context of a battle. Now, why is this so important? I want to read to you a quote from Pastor John Piper talking about prayer. He said, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that they try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Now, what's he meaning by that? What's a domestic intercom? That's what you call the butler with to bring you more chocolate cake, right? Or on the cruise ship to buzz, had like some room service up here. And what Pastor Piper is saying, the reason why prayer malfunctions, why we don't experience the power, the purposefulness, the fruit of prayer, is that we turn it into, we think it's peacetime, and we turn it into kind of a call to the butler to upgrade, uh, you know, our, 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 our dessert instead of realizing that it's a wartime walkie-talkie meant to help engage in the battle, to take steps forward in the battle. If we miss this context on the battle, we miss the place that prayer properly has in the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus teaches us how to pray. So I want to make sure that you see there is a battle going on here in the Scripture and in our lives. The second thing that I want you to see is a strategy. So note, when did the devil come to tempt Jesus? He came when Jesus was in the wilderness. He came when Jesus was hungry. He came when Jesus, if you can imagine me at the end of a 40-day fast, if you've ever done one, you know what I'm talking about. Being at the end of that, that's when he came at a specific time, in a specific place, with specific temptations. First one being where he says, if, these, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now note, God had just publicly declared over Jesus to the world, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. What does the devil come and do? If God really, if you really are, if you really are that, he challenges his identity. He says, if you are that, turn these stones into bread, right? He's bringing a specific temptation, and it's so much deeper than just stones to bread. But what he's calling Jesus to or tempting him with is for Jesus to focus his energy, his time, his affection, and say, what I really need is just the stuff of this earth. What I really need is just man-made bread. He's, he's tempting Jesus to become distracted off of God's calling, God's agenda, the mission for which God had sent Jesus. And to just get distracted with, I just need some bread. That's, 
Uh, you know, that's what I really need. I'm about to go into this new work. What I really need is just, you know, a nice piece of bread. Specific strategy, right? Uh, playing high school basketball, uh, um, you know, we would play 30 games in a season. The first, I don't know, 15, 16 of the games, you just play, you want to win, right? But the coaches realize the team's just kind of figuring out who they are. But you get to the latter part of the season, and you play a series of eight games in, in a school that I went to. There were eight games that if you did well in those eight games, you would get to go to the playoffs. You get to play for a championship. So those eight games were very important. So what our coaching staff would do is we got closer to those games. They would send different coaches out to watch the teams that we were going to play. And they would take notes. They would take film. They would analyze the other team's plays. They would analyze the other team's best players. They would see, okay, this team likes to shoot the ball from far out. This team likes to shoot the ball from close in. This team plays defense like this. This team, their best player is left-handed, and all he wants to do is dribble to his left side. And if he goes that way, he'll score, but he can't go to his right side. They'd take notes on all this stuff. And they'd come back to our practices, and they would inform us with a strategy. Here's what the other team is wanting to do. Here are their plays. Here are their strengths. We can't let them do that. Here are their weaknesses. This is where we can take advantage of them, or we could beat them, or we could advance and win the game that we were trying to win. They were making a strategy, and they were informing us on that. Right here, we see that one of the ways that the devil works is with a strategy. He's coming at Jesus at an opportune time, in an opportune place, with a temptation that's specific to Jesus' situation. Now, if we've learned that the devil, in the same way that he's after Jesus, as he's after Peter, Peter tells us, hey, the enemy is after you. And we see that the devil works with a strategy. One question that I've been thinking about this week is, I wonder what the enemy's strategy for me is to take me down. I wonder what the enemy's strategy for my family is. If, if my coaches and my team, if we would prepare for a, something as, as fun but as temporal as a high school basketball game, and we would study strategy on how could we take out their best player, how could we neutralize him, and here we're talking about the kingdom of God advancing, how much more do you know, we might should think about, might should ask the question, I wonder what the enemy's strategy for my life is. And the important thing to note here is that you're not, we didn't make plans for the guys on the bench. We weren't worried about them. You're not a bench player in the kingdom of God. You're a threat. You're made in the image of God. There's a high call on your life. You're a part of something bigger than yourself. The kingdom of God is worth advancing in our generation, and you have a meaningful part to play. You're not the center of the story, but you do have a meaningful part. You're not a bench player. So what would be the strategy of the enemy on your life? Maybe it's a particular place. Maybe there is a place where when you go, that's where the enemy knows this is where they can be tempted. Maybe it's when you go on a travel trip for your work. Maybe it's a certain part of town here in the city. Maybe it's a certain part of your house. Maybe it's a certain time. So here the enemy comes to Jesus at the end of this 40 days when he's hungry. Maybe there are certain times in your day, in your week, in your life where the enemy has on his little playbook, oh, I come to them here. This is where the window of opportunity is. What, what might it be for you? What, what might be the specific lies or temptations for you? Maybe it's, maybe it's a similar temptation of, hey, what I really need is just kind of an upgrade on life. That's what my life, that's what I'm going to spend myself, what I'm going to spend my power, what I'm going to spend my time on is just upgrading my comfort level. Or maybe it's a relationship. Maybe the place that the enemy can get you is with a girl or with a guy, with a member of the opposite sex or with a member of the same sex. I don't know. What is it for you? Maybe it's with a place of being offended, easily offended with people, and then you isolate yourself, and then you pull back, and you step back from the people of God and the purposes of God. What is it for you? 
I think that if we're going to take this seriously, we need to think about what would be the strategy that would be after you or me or our families or our friends or our church, right? So there's a strategy going on. The amazing thing that I see in this is that the devil brings a strategy. He comes at an opportune time in an opportune place with a temptation, and Jesus comes right back at him. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the devil comes with an attack. Jesus looks at him, says, you're playing checkers. I'm playing chess. Here you go. Right? Now, question for you. What was going on in Jesus' life that allowed him to become aware of the schemes of the devil allowed him to have insight and strategy into the temptation that was being used against him and allowed him to speak back the right words in the right season to overcome that temptation. You see, the devil had a strategy, but Jesus had a better strategy. And the place, the activity, the thing that was going on in his life that gave him awareness into this was he's been praying and fasting. He didn't wait till the temptation came to begin to pray. No, he had been storing up, seeking God with his focus on the will of the Father. And in that place, God released revelation, released wisdom, released insight to become aware of the temptations of the evil one and to speak back the right word in the right season to overcome that temptation. So not only is there a strategy to take you out, to put you on the bench, to get you distracted, to get you living like, yeah, just, you know, let me call the butler and kind of get an upgrade on this or that or go after this. This is what I really need. Not only is there a strategy to take you out, but your heavenly Father, as we step into prayer, as we engage in prayer, wants to release to us a strategy not only to recognize the schemes of the enemy for our life, but to overcome them and to advance. That's worth an amen. I'm going to say it again. Not only is there a strategy on how to take you down, but your heavenly Father, as you engage in prayer, as we use prayer in its proper context in the midst of the battle, he wants to release to you wisdom and insight and awareness on the specific strategies that are meant to destroy you, that God wants to turn for good, that God wants to take steps forward through your life, advancing the kingdom of God over the kingdom of darkness in the place of prayer. That's what we're going after. We're not doing kind of the butler you know, the, the intercom to the butler. It's the wartime walkie-talkie. It's the place of strategy and insight and power. We're following the way of Jesus. If this is how Jesus engaged in spiritual warfare, and we are his followers, this is how we're following him. Number three, I want you to see a victory. There is a victory going on. Not only does Jesus uh, rebuff the devil on temptation number one, he goes on, and we see the second temptation. So Jesus makes a move. Now the devil makes a move. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city, verse 5 in Matthew, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, you see him hammering on that identity piece again. Be wise to take note of that. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, what's remarkable about this temptation is that it happens in the holy city, Jerusalem, at the holy temple, with the holy word of God. That's not the type of place that we would normally think a temptation would happen. But what I want to point out to you is that there are schemes of the enemy meant to distract, meant to condemn, meant to pull you away from the purposes of God that oftentimes can come in very religious settings. Here the devil is trying to distract Jesus' mission. Jesus was sent to destroy the works of darkness. And here the devil is trying to distract and be like, hey, what would happen if you threw yourself off this temple, surely God would save you. He's distracting him from the purposes 
of God for him. Jesus comes back, and he says to him, again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus recognizes that and does not fall prone to the enemy's schemes. Why do you think our world has such a problem with cults? Religious temptation is not just something of old. Why does our world, why does the Bible speak so much about beware of false teachers? Right? If this wasn't a temptation that we should be on the lookout for today. I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 as we talk about this victory. This is where we're going. 1 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. What's Paul saying there? He's warning Timothy, who's a leader in the church. He's saying, hey, watch out for people getting distracted from the true word of God and manipulating and twisting and swerving and getting off into, what does he list out? He lists out myths, endless genealogies, and speculations that don't produce a fruit that looks like stewardship of the things of God, that don't produce a fruit that looks like love issuing from a pure heart and a good conscience with sincere faith, right? So this is another type of temptation. It's not one that we would normally think about, but here's the Word of God talking about it. That the work of God, the purpose of God in our life is not to distract us and to get us off into just kind of, uh, you know, all these different theories about things. But no, it's to stir up love in our hearts. It's to stir up purity, a good conscience, stewarding the things of God, not living in distraction or endless debates about things that don't really matter. And we need to be aware of these. And so Jesus sees that, and he comes back to the temptation of the enemy, he comes back with the word of God rightly divided, and he answers the temptation. So third temptation. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So what's this third temptation that the devil brings? He says, Jesus, hey, worship me, I'll give you everything. Make this, uh, don't worship God the Father, make this about you. Make this about, you know, I, make this about me, worship me, and I'll give you something. So what we see here is that there's a temptation to turn away from the big thing being God in our lives and the glory of God the Father and making it the glory of us, making it about my life and my things and what I want and kind of living with me at the center of it all. Instead of seeing Jesus at the center of it all, me saying, Zach, you're the center of it all. That's what the devil is tempting him with. Man. How many of us so often fall prone, I know I do, to that scheme or tactic of the enemy? And yet we see Jesus again coming back and being victorious and driving the devil out. And that's what I want to leave, uh, leave us with today. There's a victory. If we move forward from here with, okay, we live in a battle, the devil's out to get me. There's all these strategies against me. Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really afraid, right? And if you try and go this on your own, you're going to get your lunch eaten. You're not going to be able to do this. But you have a victor in Jesus. 
And if we'll keep our eyes on him, if we'll look to him, if we'll engage in prayer regularly and systematically, if we'll just make it a habit, as we follow him, man, again, he's playing chess while the devil's playing checkers. He's going to release strategy and insight and power into our lives. And I'm just so excited to see what happens. I'm so excited to see what happens as you step into the place of prayer and as Jesus begins to download strategy and insight into the ways that the devil has been eating people's lunch in your family for generations. And all of a sudden you, ha- you realize, wait, th- the fact that I get offended so easily and just pull back and go my own way, I actually see that as a repeated pattern. My family, this has been eating our lunch for generations. And God, you're showing me this pattern that I have in my life, that the next time I feel offended, I can, instead of pulling back, I can come to you and I can press into the people of God, and I can literally change the course of my family tree by responding to your leadership. Hello, what change is going to happen? What fruit is going to come out of this? Imagine a whole church of people who said, hey, we're going to take prayer seriously. We're going to take this wartime walkie-talkie seriously. We're not going to become obsessed with the enemy. We're going to be obsessed with the goodness of Jesus. And as we are, he's going to download strategy that's going to defeat works of darkness in our lives and in our city and in the nations of the world. That's something worth living for. That's something worth pursuing. That's something that's like, man, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to spend my life just living for comfort on some cruise ship that amounts to nothing. I want to be a part of the works of God advancing in our generation. And I bet you're here because you do too. And so as we'll follow Jesus in the victory he's won, as we'll engage in prayer, man, I I just say, look out. Devil, look out. City, look out at what God is going to do. Amen? All right, let's stand. Woo! Jesus, you're awesome. You're the king. You're the all-wise one, Lord. And as we step into prayer, as we rise above just kind of the the, the intercom for the butler, but we engage with the wartime walkie-talkie as we follow your leadership in that, Lord. We won't live any longer unaware of the schemes of the enemy to steal, to kill, to destroy, to sideline us and put us in apathy and on the bench, Lord but we'll realize the high calling that you have on our lives. We'll realize the wisdom you want to pour out through us. God, and we'll be a part of seeing your kingdom advance in this generation. We'll be a part of seeing works of darkness exposed and thwarted and transformed. And we'll be a part of seeing the name of Jesus lifted up in our city and in the nations of the world, Lord. So help us, God. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As the band leads us in worship, let's just respond. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain.